this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now today, we have kind of an intense topic for you. I just want to give a quick trigger warning because it is about sexual assault. Today, we're going to be diving into the newest updates around the fight to curb sexual assault on America's college campuses, what's being done about it now, and how folks are getting involved on this issue. So a quick level set of the lay of the land when it comes to campus sexual assault and what's being done about it. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, or the NSVRC, One in five women will be sexually assaulted in college, as well as one in 16 men. If you paid attention to the initiatives that the Obama administration had with Joe Biden, that's a number that might sound familiar to you, and it's a number that we're going to be dealing with throughout the show. And what those numbers really break down to mean is that 23% of college women and 5% of college men experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. And 21% of transgender or gender non-conforming students report rape or sexual assault as well. That's a big number. It's a big number. I would almost say it's at epidemic proportions. Right. And no one wants to send their kid away to college and think that they're going to get assaulted or hurt. But it seems like if these numbers are to be believed, that's a reality that a lot of parents are facing every day. And all the reporting agencies and advocacy organizations who track this data also reiterate, which is an important sort of asterisk here, that really assaults and rape are underreported for a lot of different reasons. But those numbers are really most likely conservative estimates. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because as we all know, sexual assault and rapes and sex crimes are historically some of the most underreported crimes out there. In part because of the culture around victim blaming, which we're going to talk about further, and the lack of belief that any kind of justice is possible. Um, and this is especially true on college campuses, where a lot of the debate on this issue has been not in the presence or lack thereof of assault and rape, but on how college campuses are dealing with them. Some insist on managing it themselves, even despite the fact that this is an illegal crime that is being committed. And there's been a lot of reticence to actually d- treating this epidemic like the criminal outbreak that it is. So one statistic that came out in 2015 from the American Association of University Women says that 89% of college campuses reported zero rapes in 2015. That actually might seem like a really cheery number, like, oh, almost 90% of campuses reported no rapes. Are rape-free. Exactly. But here's why that's wrong. The key word is reported. They've actually gone back and said that if a campus is reporting that few sexual assaults and rapes, that actually that campus needs to rethink their reporting structure and whether or not students are actually coming forward because that 89% figure just does not jive with what's actually going on when you look at the data. Yeah, when you look at surveys done of students. So one thing to note is that if you're a college or university that participates in a federal financial aid program, you actually are required to do some reporting and transparency around who is coming forward with rapes. Passed in 1990, the Cleary Act requires schools that get federal funding to disclose campus crime stats and security information, including training and prevention efforts. Which is good. So why the hell are almost 90% of college campuses in 2015 reporting no rapes? Right? You know what I mean? Like, how does that even, how is that meeting the standards? Well, it really comes down to transparency. Yeah, and disclosure, which really gets me infuriated because... You know what this has to do with, Bridget? This is a marketing problem. 
This is all about the college industrial complex that exists here in the United States where nobody wants to be known as the rapey campus. So everyone's trying to keep hush hush on even toxic cultures or not dealing with things like rape and sexual assault because God forbid that should end up on a brochure somewhere and have concerned parents asking about, you know, how safe should I anticipate my daughter or son will be in terms of the kind of rape statistics or what kind of policies do you have in place to bring those crimes to light? Well, that's exactly it. According to the American Association of University Women, basically how schools are getting around this requirement that they report around this is by mixing in sexual assault numbers with other crimes. Ah. So they might be reporting the numbers of crimes in general or crimes like harassment or stalking, and they aren't required to actually break out those numbers of sexual assaults and how they're being dealt with. And that is part of the reason why in 2011, the Obama administration wanted to address this epidemic of campus assault and rape and the total lack of a a clear and measured justice system that was being put in place at a lot of these college campuses through a new outlining of guidelines for how colleges and universities should deal with campus sexual assaults in order to be aligned with Title IX of our Constitution. And in laying out these new guidelines, the Department of Education under the Obama administration wrote a letter that's a little bit wonky, but here's what it really breaks down. In order for the school's grievance procedures or justice system to be consistent with Title IX standards, the school must use a preponderance of the evidence standard. In other words, it's more likely than not that sexual harassment or violence occurred. The, quote, clear and convincing standard, i.e. it's highly probable or reasonably certain that the sexual harassment or violence occurred, which is currently used by some schools, is a higher standard of proof. Grievance procedures that use this higher standard are inconsistent with the standard of proof established for violations of the civil rights laws and thus are not equitable under Title IX. In other words, the Department of Education is saying, We need to lower the evidence required for sexual assault and rape cases to actually come to a conclusion in order for uh, punitive measures to be put in place and for justice to be served. We shouldn't have to require clear and convincing, which is a much higher legal standard to prove someone guilty of rape or sexual assault. Instead, the school should use a preponderance of evidence, which is a much more common um, or reasonable statute for proving that someone raped you, which is not a not a very easy thing to prove. Exactly. So that was a, a big wonky mouthful. But essentially what they're saying is that it shouldn't require the same level of evidence that it might require in a courtroom in order to get some action if you are sexually assaulted on a college campus. And I honestly think if you think about how sexual assaults often do occur on college campuses, it can often be very difficult to prove. I mean, I don't know. It's a he said, she said thing 99% of the time. Right. And so it just seems to me to require an intense level of evidence when we all understand that these interactions often are murky, often don't have that kind of high level evidence you should still be able to get justice even in those situations. And you're saying justice on an academic level, not in a courtroom. Exactly. We're not talking about throwing someone in jail. We're talking about kicking someone off of the college campus, which, if you think about it, the underlying sort of presupposition that is inherent to this decision is whether or not we should believe victims who come forward and 
claim that they were raped or sexually assaulted. There's two lines of thought, in my opinion. There are the people who believe, like I do, quite frankly, for you to come forward and report a rape or a sexual assault, which is not a pleasant thing to do with your life or time, I'm inclined to hear you out and believe you. And I'm not saying that it's an open and shut case every time someone says that they were raped, but if you inherently are skeptical of rape claimants, of people who say that they were raped or sexually assaulted, basically what you're saying is that we should be defaulting on the side of believing survivors. Right. And I think knowing that the the number of people who falsely claim to be raped or sexually assaulted is so low, in my mind, this is my personal opinion, I don't feel like we lose anything by having our default be belief survivors. Yeah, it is tricky, though, because, right, it's we're talking about innocent until proven guilty. That's a court of law. But that's the thing. I'm not I'm not a court of law. I'm I'm a person. Right. And so I believe that everybody gets due process. I believe everybody gets their day in court. But I, as a person, am able to look at a situation and say, I believe you. I believe what you're saying. I'm not necessarily held to due process standards. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's sort of the Department of Education under the Obama administration was saying, this isn't a courtroom setting either. So when we have epidemic proportions of women, especially, who are being raped and sexually assaulted on college campuses, who are underreporting, we know underreporting is a thing, and whose rapists are walking amongst them in college, that is preventing those women from getting their rights to an equal education. That's really what is happening here. Exactly. And because of all of those circumstances, we should lower the bar for proof, and it shouldn't be a legal courtroom standard for proving your sexual assault or rape. That's exactly it. And all of that goes back to Title IX. So Title IX is a U.S. education amendment from 1972, which basically says that the sexual harassment of students, including sexual violence, interferes with students' right to receive an education free from discrimination, and in the case of sexual violence, is a crime. So basically, this title is a title that allows for students and universities to say, hey, if I'm being sexually harassed on campus, as a public university, you are required to make sure that I get the same level of education as every other student here. And if I'm being sexually harassed, if there is a sexual assault epidemic on campus that isn't being dealt with, then I am not able to get that education that you promised that you would fairly give to me. Right. Or I'm not being offered a safe environment for me to continue my studies. It's basically saying if you're siding with the rapist by saying you guys should just work it out or just peacefully coexist, you don't understand that you're not creating a safe environment for me to learn. Exactly. Of course, we have a Trump alert coming up. Trump alert. Trump alert. Major Trump alert. Because that is the nature of new guidelines when they're handed down from the Department of Education in 2011 is going to look a lot different than new guidelines handed down by the Department of Education in 2017. Exactly, Emily. There's a lot of new updates in terms of what the Trump administration is doing and their new uh, head of the Department of Education, Betsy DeVos, is doing on the front to curb sexual assault on college campuses. We're going to dig into what that looks like after this quick break. And we're back. So earlier this month, Betsy DeVos, who is the Trump administration's head of the Department of Education, announced that they were going to be rolling back the Obama administration's guidelines around how colleges should be handling sexual assaults on campus. More or less, they decided that they were going to be totally reversing these guidelines and coming up with interim guidelines in the meantime before they came up with the new permanent guidelines. Right. So 
Whereas the Obama administration's Department of Education lowered the burden of proof on the part of claimants who were reporting rape or sexual assault, they raised the bar once again. They said, we are just going to undo what that former administration has done. Basically, they're requiring a lot more evidence in order for a rape or sexual assault claim to be heard because they believe that a verdict can lead to discipline and expulsion, and that is the problem that they want to focus on. Instead of focusing on the epidemic of sexual assault on college campuses, they're coming to the defense of predominantly men on college campuses who they believe the bigger problem is in their in their eyes behind this move is the unfair disciplinary retaliation against alleged rapists. So that's who they're standing up for in this move. They're saying, you know what's a bigger problem than campus sexual assault? Men who are falsely claimed of rape. And that is literally who they're standing up for with this move. Well, I would say that it sounds like you're exaggerating, but when you go and look at the people and the groups that DeVos actually met with, that's actually who it is. In addition to meeting with victims advocates and organizations that are trying to curb sexual assault on campus, she also met with groups who are advocating for, quote, the due process rights of accused students. These are organizations like Families Advocating for Campus Equality or FACE, a nonprofit founded by mothers of sons who had been falsely accused of sexual misconduct in college. I mean, here's the thing. I don't want people to be falsely accused of rape. I don't want people to be falsely kicked out of college because of sexual assault. But I'm inclined to believe that's a much smaller problem than actual sexual assault and actual rape on campus. So, you know, good for the moms, by the way, not the dads, question mark. What what the hell's going on? I guess moms are responsible for their sons, uh, sexual misconduct or lack thereof, because they're all definitely innocent, who've been falsely claimed as rapist. And I'm just like, I get it. I agree that we are having a conversation about what sexual consent looks like, especially on college campuses, especially when there's alcohol involved, which does make things a little murkier. However, I just think that we're doing actual rape victims and sexual assault victims a serious disservice when we put motions forward like this that focuses instead on a much, much, much smaller and more rare problem, which is the falsely accused. Well, and I think you're exactly right. And what troubles me so much about this conversation that's coming out of the Department of Education is that it seems as if the people who are in charge of setting the tone for how sexual assaults are investigated on college campuses nationwide believe some janky BS. Yeah. If you look at this quote from Candace Jackson, who leads the Education Department's Office for the Civil Rights and is basically in charge of investigating these claims, she's quoted as saying in The New York Times that sexual assault accusations on college campuses, 90 percent of them fall into the category of we were both drunk, we broke up. And six months later, I found myself under a Title IX investigation because she decided that our last sleeping together was not quite right. Now, I should go on to say that Jackson later apologized and called these remarks flippant. But if if this is the... If this is the message that is coming out of the organization that is in charge of setting the tone for how we deal with sexual assault on college campuses, what is that? What kind of message is that telling you? I mean, it's telling you that she literally doesn't believe victims. She, like so many people, have a false perception that there are tons of women out there claiming rape just because they regret a relationship. When if you look at what the experience is like of any woman who does push charges against a rapist... That is not an uphill climb that you would venture into lightly or without real cause. 
In fact, most people would avoid the reporting altogether because it's like experiencing the rape all over again. Well, when you look at the numbers, most people do. That's why we were talking about these crimes being so vastly underreported because we see how people who are the victims of sexual assault are so often dragged through the mud. They're so often disrespected. They're so often, you know, they're passed or dug up in this way as if that makes a difference in terms of what actually happened. They're re-victimized through the trial, kind of like when we were talking about Ellen Powell's trial, how much her life was in many ways ruined even more so than the sexual assault that she was facing at work because the trial itself was so taxing. You know who became kind of a poster child for this, too, was Taylor Swift recently. We would be remiss not to mention the fact that she pressed charges. She reported she didn't let this guy off the hook for grabbing her bare ass at a fan meet and greet because she wanted to stand up for all the other women, millions of other women, who don't have necessarily the time, the energy, the money, the resources to put themselves through that again. And watching her go through that, watching the mixed headlines that came out of her trial, even though she was so courageous and brave and fierce in not allowing the defendant's attorney to make her feel less than or question her sanity or memory or character, it was inspiring. It is inspiring. And and to add on to that, look at someone like Kesha who called out her sexual abuser. I mean, if you ever want to see why people don't report sexual assaults or sex crimes yes. or sexual harassment, look at Kesha and look at where she is with her career. Right. She's been fighting to get her career back right. because she spoke up about what happened to her. Side note, Rainbow, amazing. I love Kesha. I am obsessed with her new album. I've never been a, a listener before, but I am obsessed. She She's, just did a collaboration with Macklemore. Oh. I don't know if... Do we like Macklemore? I have no strong feelings. <laughs> Do we like his haircut? No. <laughs> Once the Nazis picked up on his haircut, he ditched it, which I thought was good. But yes, no, I am a big Macklemore fan, too, and I just love this collaboration. Oh, anyway. Check it out. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Kesha. So, in case your blood isn't boiling enough already, the other group that DeVos met with before rolling back these guidelines is the National Coalition for Men. I like men. I want men to have rights as well. But if you look at what the National Coalition for Men is, it's actually, according to Think Progress, a group with a, quote, long history of what is now known as men's rights activism. Some of that activism has included things like publishing the photos and names of women who have reported sexual assault and labeling them as false accusers to watch out for. And when you think about this idea of publishing accusers, pictures online. I mean, would you want to report if you knew that your picture might wind up on a website? Would you feel like that it was a safe climate to say, hey, this happened to me. I think it was a crime. Would you feel safe in doing that if you thought your picture was going to wind up on this creepy website? Right. The president, Harry Crouch, has vocally blamed survivors for the abuse that they faced. In a 2014 interview with the Pacific Standard, Crouch defended Ray Rice, a former football player you may have heard of, who was indicted in 2014 on third-degree aggravated assault for an incident involving his then-fiancé. Isn't he the one who, like, dragged her out of the elevator? Yeah, there was a video of of him punching her and dragging her lifeless body out of an elevator. Right. So that's the kind of guy that this guy likes to come to the defense of. He said, and I quote, I'm not saying he's a good guy, but if she hadn't aggravated him, she wouldn't have been hit. They would say that's blaming the victim, but I don't buy it. And these are the organizations that Betsy DeVos was getting counsel from while coming up with the interim guidelines for how to deal with sexual assault on college campuses. Right. If that doesn't enrage you, one of the things that makes me so angry about this is that it really sets up this false dichotomy. Like, on the one side, it's victims and victims advocates. On the other side, it's 
I don't know how to put that. Victim suspects, like people who inherently suspect rape victims. Yeah, it's it it sets up this weird dichotomy that I'm really, really uncomfortable with, where victims and victims advocates are on one side, and people who are skeptical of victims are on the other. And it's trying to sort of make it seem like we can all work together to come to some sort of agreement on how we're going to deal with this problem. It's not balanced at all, but we're treating it as if it's balanced. We're treating it as if the motivations of each group come from the same place. And just to hammer home how not normal DeVos's interim guidance is on this measure, her department's take on this, it's no surprise, are completely different than the Obama administration's take. But what might surprise you is that... The Bush administration also completely would not have signed off on what DeVos is putting forth. Her interim guidance actually allows schools to resolve sexual violence complaints through mediation. Let's just have you sit in a room with your rapist and we can talk this out with a student peer counselor. Okay, that's literally what they are putting forth. I am enraged right now. I'm I'm freaking out because the idea of putting women through that is beyond re-triggering. And the Bush administration had outlawed that. Exactly. So what the hell is happening now? So yeah, the Bush administration specifically said that even though mediation can be helpful in some cases, they say that it expressly should not be used to resolve cases of sexual assault on campus. And so I think it's really telling that DeVos says, wait, actually, mediation is a great way to resolve campus sexual assaults. And we're going to talk a bit more about why that completely falls apart after this quick break. And we're back, and we were just talking about some of the new guidelines around campus sexual assault and why they might not be so useful after all. So one of the things that Betsy DeVos is putting forth as a way to resolve sexual assaults on campus is mediation. Now, mediation can be a great way of solving college disputes between students. Maybe if you have a fight with your roommate, you guys don't get along, maybe you have a problem with an instructor, mediation might actually be helpful. Why is mediation not a good way to resolve campus sexual assaults? Well, there's an underlying assumption behind mediation, which is this presupposition that both parties are somewhat at fault. So we can talk through what you did wrong, what I did wrong, how we can get better together. And when we frame sexual assault or rape as something in which two parties are responsible for, which a lot of people would happily say, you know, as as this head of the men's rights organization says, you know, maybe she shouldn't have aggravated him. Maybe she had it coming. Maybe she had that punch coming. That is the kind of narrative that we reinforce by postulating that mediation is an appropriate response to rape and sexual assault. And honestly, I can't even get through this without becoming enraged because it plays into this narrative beyond victim blaming. It plays into a narrative that you are somehow responsible for solving the problem that has victimized you. I just, I I lose my mind thinking about this. Well, exactly. It's just like what Grace Watkins writes over at Motto. She writes, there is no shared blame in sexual assault. Survivors of sexual violence should not be asked to compromise, self-reflect, or reconcile relationships with someone that assaulted them. Even worse, mediation perpetuates the myth that sexual assault is simply a misunderstanding between two people rather than what it really is, a violent abuse of power. Mediation fetishizes compromise, which for survivors often means premature forgiveness and serious harm. It relies on the societal expectation that, quote, good girls forgive, thereby reifying the same gender stereotypes that Title IX was intended to eliminate. And that really, I think that really hammers it home for me. Mediation really does assume, oh, we both, we both had a hand in this. 
Let's talk it out. Let's work it out. And I don't think survivors should be asked to do that, especially not with the person that victimized them. And we're not alone in that because right after this uh, set of guidelines was handed down by DeVos, the hashtag Stop Betsy, referring to Betsy DeVos, immediately began trending on Twitter as students began protesting on campuses like GW University. Harvard recently made headlines with a really compelling and powerful silent protest that involved students who attended a speech she was giving on campus standing up, silently unfurling signs that say things like protect survivors' rights and our Harvard can do better. So I really got to give it to these students who are leading the way and saying that they are not cool with this new guidance coming out of the Trump administration. Furthermore, I do think there might be a little bit of good news on this issue because a lot of lawmakers are really taking this up as one of their big issues to deal with. Um, Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill wrote Trump a letter in which she criticized his administration's handling of sexual assaults on campus so far and asked if they could talk to work together on a new policy. Furthermore, folks like Senator Kirsten Gillibrand have really made this an issue that they have been campaigning on and talking on and making a lot of noise about for their constituents. So it's not all bad. And I really am a little bit optimistic that more lawmakers will sort of take the charge here and really come up with a a solution that works for more folks. Right. And especially one that works for victims, because college campuses still to this day are operating like the wild, wild west when it comes to sexual assault and rape on campus. And for anyone who is a student on college campuses or a parent of someone who's a student on college campuses or simply doesn't want to perpetuate this idea that boys will be boys and college rape doesn't indicate something tremendously problematic about what this young person might do to continue being even more violent in their life after college. We are missing opportunities to take real responsible, punitive action on college campuses right now that could actually prevent further harm from never taking place. Because when we brush off things like domestic violence and assault and rape and say, oh, they're not that big a deal, and then we, like, create these loopholes, like what exists on college campuses right now, we're creating more public danger, pure and simple. Because that is that is the kind of behavior that is not going to stop if someone gets away with it on college campuses and implicitly gets a, you know, you can get away with this and nothing will happen to you message. And I think it really comes back to what you said earlier about colleges not want to look, not wanting to look like this quote unquote sexual assault school. So if we all were a little bit more transparent and dealt with this issue in a more serious way with the gravity that it deserves, that's the only way that we'll ever get anywhere on this issue. So Spinty listeners, we want to hear from you on this. Is your blood boiling as much as mine is right now? How are you taking action to make your voice heard, to make sure the Department of Education and Betsy DeVos hears you loud and clear? Are you using that hashtag, StopBetsy? If not, maybe you should. And we will join you in on that conversation on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou, and as always, Let's continue this very nuanced conversation via our email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. 